international break. Rian, it's a time for us to think back on the times when club football graced our presence throughout our weekend festivities. But for the last week and a half, the international break has thoroughly, I can say this, I think ruined part of the footballing experience. But we don't have another international break until March. So, Rian, we are back on the pod. We are talking club football. We, we aren't able to obviously recap any games from this past weekend uh, at the club level. So we're going to spend some time actually previewing some of the upcoming games for today's pod. And we're going to talk a little bit about really the only two major slash important results to us um, over the last week in international football, of course, that is the Spain game in which Spain won six nil against Germany. This was Germany, like that Germany. Um, and the U S just going off and with a, a six, two, six, two, right? Six, one, six, two, six, two. It was six, two. six, two, six, two. Yeah. Thank you. Six, two, uh, score line against Panama. So, um, yeah, Rian, you're at home. I'm still in New York. Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm I'm gonna ask you now because I, I want to get it out now. But I'm gonna put you on the spot. What are you grateful for this year? Am I grateful for? Wow. Um, well, if, very if, Mo, if Mo is listening to this, he had to think about it. Very just, grateful. Just saying. <laughs> I'm grateful for a lot of things. I'm grateful that there's only like six weeks of this year left. And I'm yeah, I'm most grateful that we're that we're getting closer to 2020 ending and maybe getting back to semi normal life in January and who knows? I mean, we're getting some good news. It, definitely, definitely not January, but well, in 2021. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping someone will transition uh, away from oh. being president. Mm. Right? In January, I thought you were talking about COVID. Sure. Yeah, enough. yeah, no, fair, no, enough, no. fair enough. No, I said semi-normal, semi. <laughs> so I'm hoping a certain orange man will be will be transitioning, but even that is not a given right now. So. Um, but no, we've gotten some good news, at least vaccine wise over the last couple of weeks. So who knows? Maybe, maybe next summer will, will, it has a better chance of being normal than January will is for sure. But, um, yeah, very happy, ha- very thankful for friends and family. And of, and of course you, Elias. That was, that was a cop out answer, but all right. I mean, I'll take it. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm grateful for Rihanna. I'm grateful for, all our friends, friends and family that, of course, listen. And, you know, even those that don't listen to the podcast, I'm so grateful to have you around in my life. So after that little cheesy start to the podcast, Rian, we, of course, want to talk football as we come out of the international break. And as we look towards club football returning basically every three days now between now and March, that's going to be pretty hectic on everyone's schedules, our schedules, the players' schedules. The, the money making money laundering machines that I'm sure exist in England for as a result of <laughs> all the, the games that are being played. But let's, let's start off in La Liga and in Spain, where this upcoming weekend, Barcelona are going into a head to head battle with Atletico Madrid. Atletico, of course, a side that has, I mean, by all accounts, done decently well when it, when they when compared relative to other teams in La Liga, 
um, and, and are looking really at a chance of, of potentially going top of the table uh, with a game in hand. So, Rian, Barcelona are still inconsistent. We talked about it last week. Let's start off with Atletico this time. Um, what, what are your what are you looking for from Atletico going into this game, and and what are you expecting? It's going to be hard this weekend to learn a lot about Atletico. I think because Luis Suarez is going to be missing from the game due to a COVID um, positive test. I think I think it was last week that he tested positive for COVID, and so it's going to be a little tough to learn. Uh, much about or a lot about Atletico and their potential title challenge. But on the other hand, if Marcus Llorente or Correa, or I'm not sure if Diego Costa is even like functioning body wise anymore. Um, if any of those guys are able to step in and, and Atleti win this match, then hell, I would come out and say we learned a lot about this team, and that would actually make you feel really confident about their chances to win to win the league. But I hope that we will learn a lot about you know this is just bingo. Uh, we could play a game of bingo every time we talk about La Liga, and I bring up Jao Felix. But I hope that we'll learn a lot about him in this game. Honestly, this is the biggest La Liga game that he is playing in. And then granted, it's only been a year, but I think about circumstances coming in. And as we talked about last week, his growing role and the kind of step that I think we both have realized that he's take, that he's taken in the last year, the step in his development that he's taken. This is the first game where we might actually be expecting him to show out and put on a, a good performance because last year we could have been like, he's still 19 for a season, everything that comes with that, with uh, trans- transitioning to a new team. But this is the first one where we might be expecting a, a performance from Jao Felix, even without Luis Suarez. And, and I'm really, really excited to see him at this, in this form and in this stage of his development, how he, performs in a game where it feels like a meeting between two legitimate title contenders where it didn't feel quite like that last season. I think you bring up a really good point about Jean Felix and this kind of reminds me of maybe it's, it's not of this significance, but when Messi was 19 and he scored his first hat trick against real Madrid, people, people remember that game. Right. There's no way of knowing beforehand in a game, you know, this is a game we'll remember because of X, Y, and Z performance. But it feels like, to your credit, a game where Zhao Felix can put his stamp on this Atletico team and, and start cementing himself. He's already started to cement himself. But with a really solid performance against a Barcelona team that's quite frankly been average this season this could really be his game that people look back on in seven, eight, nine years and say, wow, Jao Felix really shined. And that was the start of something really special. So he, he has that opportunity tomorrow or what is it Saturday? And so what I, what I would say is for Atletico, they should be going out and expecting a win. They, but 
it's going to be earned, obviously, but they they should expect that they have a very good chance of going out and getting this game. Stimioni has changed the side into a four four two. He he he's developed the side into, some, side into something more than just a counter attacking one type of team. This is an Atletico team that averaged 55% possession in all of their games right now. This is not a team that sit in a low defensive block any anymore. And so looking at this Barcelona team that has actually struggled against low blocks, uh, just, I mean, the last several years, I'm curious to see how Simeone sits up, sets up on Saturday. I'm curious to see if he goes with what has been working this season in aggressive, dynamic play, starting with Zhao Felix in the higher up 10 position, essentially, or false nine position, I should really say, um, playing as an off striker with Marcus Lorente in front of him. And I'm, I'm curious if Simeone plays more attacking with more flair, right? You know, behind. Jao Felix will more than likely be uh, some sort of combination of Sal Niguez, Coque, um, Herrera, and Torreya, uh, or Thomas Lamar, quite frankly. I'm not sure. But I'm curious to see if he uses those players as a defensive line or a more attacking prowess. Because Barcelona have struggled against low block defenses or defenses, and Atletico can, quite frankly, do both. So that's what I'm looking for from Atleti. Yeah, and you're talking about an Atletico Madrid team that has still only conceded two goals in the first seven games of this season. Right? Like, we we know that they're still very good at defending, and what we hoped for, or well, I guess maybe more what I hoped for. I don't know if Ellis is hoping for this as much, but what we've hoped for is uh, Atletico Madrid to progress in the attacking sense, and we've seen some progression there in even just the first seven games of this season in terms of just let's say, I mean, putting it frankly, finishing the chances on a more consistent basis is what's happening right now for them. So it'll be a big test for both teams, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Atleti can actually try to break down Barcelona as well. As we saw in El Clasico, what really messed up Barcelona was those runners was Madrid's midfield runners from deep. And now that doesn't feel like a philosophy of a Diego Simeone team, but I hope we see a bit more, a bit more courage and, and brave runs into the box from, from um, a midfield of Atletico. I mean, we saw in at least um, Spain's game against Germany, Koke was making runs into the general, uh, really consistent runs into the box in that game. And so I hope we see a bit of that um, on Saturday as well. You know, for me, it's like, I, I want to learn more about Atletico Madrid in this game because I, I think Barcelona is, it's, it's obviously a transition. And, and if that feels like more of a, that'll come as the season goes on. And, and, you know, we've, th- we've talked about the Antifati injury, how much that is just, is probably going to be a big, um, a big impact on the rest of the, the season for Barca, but I'm hoping to learn more about Atletico Madrid this weekend. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is really theirs to lose in some sense, and also their chance 
stamp an identity in in La Liga and, and on their own team. Because, like I said, if I don't, I think that if Diego Simeone does not perform this season, I think he's out. Probably either he leaves on his own accord or he's let go. And so he's on a tightrope. The team is on a tightrope, but they are in a good spot. Quite frankly, they're in a very good spot. Looking at Barcelona, however, I mean, it's clear that João Felix is the key player to watch for Atleti, right? I think we see his performances, the way he leads his team. He is the player to watch. It's less clear on Barcelona's side who the player to watch is. Okay, sure, I could say Messi, great, a player to watch, obviously. But if I'm honest, I think my player to watch is Dembele. My player to watch is Dembele because Lodi and Trippier have had pretty terrible season so far. Uh, I'm a big Kieran Trippier fan. I, I love what he's done for England and I love his dynamism going forward and his ability to cross the ball and, and see tight spaces very well. But quite frankly, they have not been defending very well at all. And the one thing Dembele loves to do on the wing is expose space behind the fullbacks because he's got the pace and he's got the technical ability to basically break their ankles. So and, and also on, on the point of Lodi, he hasn't really been Atletico starting left back. It's been um, Hernandez for, for or Hermoso, excuse me. Yes, I'm forgetting Atletico's left, left backs. You, you get the point. Lodi has not been their starting left back. And so that right wing position, I think, will be crucial on Saturday to see where and if even Dembele starts. I'm assuming he does because Ansu Fati is out. But... Brian, what do you expect lastly here from uh, from Barcelona on Saturday? From Barca, I'm I'm hoping I don't know, I have no clue on um maybe Pianich's on Miralem Pianich's injury status slash you know, is he fit gonna be fit enough to play on Saturday? But I'm hoping that, that we see the double pivot of Pjanic and and uh De Jong in a big game. Again, we we did not see it against uh, Real Madrid, but I hope we get to see it in this game because that has been a really big, I think, a good revelation for the midfield of Barcelona, especially with, especially with the circumstances that Miralem Pjanic came into the team. Um, it, it has been an actual bright spot, I think, for the midfield, and we've talked about trying to find ways to unlock Frankie De Jong and Miralem Pjanic is the closest they've come to in the last year the last two seasons really to um, finding someone that actually fits well with Frankie de Jong. So I'm hoping to see that from the midfield. I'm really interested to see how the attack is set up because like you said, without Ansu Fati, that's it's not a plug and play very um, easy backup solution. That's there. It's, there's nothing there. That's that's um, or no player there that we'd say, Oh, definitely Coutinho steps in or definitely Trincao or whoever steps in. Um, so I, I'm interested interested to see who plays on the left wing, but I'm I'm hoping that we see Pjanic and Frankie De Jong playing together again. I I would really hope so too. I, I can't say I'm expecting it because for the last three games, basically Coleman's ignored that and uh, and been starting Sergio Busquets, who quite frankly is just no longer a starter for Barcelona. Uh, it pains me to say it, but he's not for for what the game and the intensity needs now. So I do hope that Pjanic is fit and ready. I know he had a couple bumps during the international break, but he looks set to go with Frankie de Jong. And I would have to assume with Coutinho coming back fit that Coutinho probably starts in the left wing position, accompanied by Messi in the middle, Griezmann on top, 
uh, and Dembele on the wing. That would be my ideal starting a forward combination for Barcelona, but Coleman just has me worried in terms of what he actually sets the team up as. I, I just, I, I can't in good faith say that that's going to happen. Uh, but if I had to put money on it, I, I, I would certainly put a small, a little tiny amount on that. Um, but yeah, lastly, Rian score predictions. We, we have to, to guess at the very least what the, the game's going to end up like thoughts on final score predictions. I think I'm going to say a 1-1, but I'm going to say I think Barcelona plays that will end up playing very well. And really the only thing that keeps Atleti in is a Jao Felix equalizer or late goal. So I, I, I think that, that would be on brand. That would be very on brand uh, for Barcelona to let it go late. Um, and it's that's an interesting prediction, a 1-1 tie, tie. I am going to go with... A an objective as possible prediction in two one Atleti. Um, I think that Barcelona are going to find it very difficult to break down Atleti's back line. I think, with the exception of maybe some messy magic, which I, honestly he has not produced this season. He has been still great by any player's standards, but not messy level. And I, I can see a way where Atletico squeak out a win, where they're able to get past and you know, a less dynamic um, midfield and, and one that can be passed through, especially with making runs in from deep, like you said. So um, that's my prediction for the game. I hope I'm so wrong. I hope it's like five two the other way, but Hey, that's my, that's my thoughts so far. So Rian, we're going to take a quick break and then we will come back talking a little bit about Manchester city and Spurs, the other big game coming up this weekend on Saturday. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the pod. Talking a little Manchester City Spurs, previewing the game on Saturday afternoon on the East Coast in the U.S. Rian, a little bird told me um, that we're going to surprise our listeners with a special guest could you tell me who that special guest is? I think he's he's very close to you, both, you know, metaphorically and geographically. Yeah, see, he's only two floors above me right now, I, or he might be. He might be. I don't know if he's in the living room or dining room right now, but but um, familiarly, I, if that's the word I'm looking for, my dad has joined us. My dad, the only Manchester City fan that I think either Elias and I know has joined us to talk about this Saturday's, I think, 12.30. It should be 12.30 on Saturday, Tottenham and Manchester City. Pep and Jose Mourinho meet once again. Dad, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I mean, it's great being with you guys after listening to you for um, maybe six months or more. It's good to be on. It's over. It's over a year. I hope. I hope it's only been more a bit more longer than six, six months. Yeah. <laughs> time flies when when you when you're in COVID nineteen lockdown. You know, or time doesn't fly. One or the other. Yeah. Oh, see, he, he was just waiting. No, no, he was just waiting. He was waiting. He knew the first seven months would be would be a very experimental. So he waited to, to yeah, hop on I was the train for you guys to get your sea legs first. 
And we got him. We got him. And thank you, Mr. Trim, for coming on. I I told you right before we started recording that we're going to lay into City a little bit, lay into Pep, just because of how poorly Manchester City have done so far this season. I mean, going into this game against Spurs, clearly a team that have performed well, right? They've been consistent. And one of the marks for me of a good team is just general consistency. How are you feeling? How confident are you feeling in Manchester City going into this game against, uh, uh, quite frankly, a good Spurs side? So I'm going to surprise you by agreeing with you that City has played poorly um, this season. They are mitigating circumstances. Uh, I, I expressed those to your podcast partner quite vehemently um, a couple of times. But from a Tottenham City um, on Saturday, I'm confident enough that City will win. I will go on record in saying that I think it's going to be a 2-1 win for City. The reason that I'm saying that is because City has been playing better the last couple of weeks since we've gotten our um, defenders back. You know, the back line has been doing a lot better. Uh, midfield has been doing better too. So I think part of the inconsistency that City showed early in the season had a lot to do with injury, had a lot to do with the fact that there wasn't hardly any opportunity for them to practice in the sense that their season ended after pretty much everyone else in the English Premier League and started, even though it started a week later, there still wasn't that opportunity for them to get the necessary practice in that they needed to just because players had to rest, right? So um, that was part of it. And injuries played a, a very large role as well in their inconsistency. I think if you look at City over the last maybe two, three matches, they've been a better team, even though they drew um, 1-1 with Liverpool. I think City, and I know Elias probably wouldn't agree with me here, but I think City should have won that game because they had more opportunities um, after the first 15, 20 minutes of the match when it looked like Liverpool was going to overrun them. Uh, So going into this match on Saturday, I am pretty confident that City is going to come out victorious. Um, If you you ask Leon, I think I'm a pretty realistic City fan um, in the sense that I, I... in this season, I've not gone into very many matches thinking that they would win. But uh, this one, I think, is it's going to be, um, they're going to get the three points. Yeah, I know that, that we talked about in the past, the, the kind of feeling of the city don't press to the same extent as they have in the past. And especially them coming up against Spurs, who have been look the one the, the thing that's always great about 
a Mourinho team, that's the one constant is that they're always very good at counterattacking. And this season, no, no different. If you see the, if you saw the Southampton, their Southampton game earlier in the season, the 5 2 win, where Southampton, very high pressing team, and got the pressing all wrong that day and ended up giving up five goals, I think four of them within like 20 minutes to, to Hungman Son because their midfield didn't press to the same level as the forwards did. And it was very easy for Spurs to transition the ball forward to Harry Kane and to, to Son eventually. But we've talked about City's kind of um, decline in their pressing. I went back and looked on uh, on footballreference.com and, and looked at City's pressures per game and we go back to twenty the 2018-19 season um, the season that City just beat out Liverpool by a point uh, I think it was 98 points 97 points that year City were press, making 144 pressures a game and then look, last season it was 132 this season that's dropped off to 109 and so, you know, Dad, what you even say, what you said like a, a month or so ago, that feeling that they're not pressing to the same intensity, that's real. And I think that's going to be the most important thing for City on Saturday in terms of stopping Spurs in their counterattacking, which has been so good because Harry Kane and Hungman Son have kind of figured out a really good partnership um, on those counterattacks. That, but, you know, Elias, do you, do you, I don't know if it's the players or like my dad is saying the burnout, but Elliot, you tell me, do you feel, do you feel that Manchester city can get a result in this game without that high press being the levels that, that it has been in the last couple of years <laughs> with, without the high press, um, they can. Uh, I, I think they have less of a chance to. Uh, I think they could for the sole reason that Tottenham's midfield still has the same problem that they've had since Pochettino was around, is that they're not creative enough. And Dombele is a, is a fantastic player, but has obviously required time to adjust. Um, but if you ask me, you're basically asking me, can Eric Dyer and Harry Winks, can they play through a press? And my answer is no. Like, even if Manchester City press at a less rate and send less bodies forward, my answer is still no. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Manchester City can get by without pressing as high, especially against this Tottenham side. But that isn't to say that the the Tottenham attacking third and era, I should say, attacking line have somewhat figured out how to gel cohesively, and that's dangerous, right? That that means balls over the top. That means balls out to the wide areas, right, to your surge areas of the world, are going to prove more lethal, even if Manchester City do not press as high as they did. That means that City might be forced into a scenario where Ferran Torres and Raheem Sterling are tracking back more often than they are attacking. And that's why I think this this battle, or honestly, this game is going to be won on the wings. I, I genuinely want to see how the fullback versus wingers compare uh, to each other on Saturday. So, Mr. Shrim, I, I don't know if you have any differing thoughts, but that's where my head is at. Well, yeah, I mean, I 
think you are right. Um, but I also think that City in the last, um, you know, two games at least have begun to press a little bit more um, with a little more intensity. They haven't sustained it the way that they did back in, as you said, Rian, in 2018 when they were at, I think, their best in the sense that if they turned the ball over, they, they would usually get it back within two to three seconds. I think that was the, the average time um, of retrieval versus turnover. But I, I do think um, the drop-off from 2018 to now has, you know, Rian and I talked about burnout, but I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that City has played so many matches, right? And, and to press, you have to, not just your fitness levels have to be up, but, but, but you have to maintain that mental intensity, I think, to, to always want to get forward, to, to swarm the ball. And if you look at City, in the first maybe 15, 10, 15 minutes of a match this season, they would press, and then they would drop off. I think the last couple of games, they have pressed for a little more. They've been a little more intense. They're not at a level where I think they should be. But I also think that Jose Mourinho is going to be Jose Mourinho in this match, and he's going to overthink it because because he's facing Pep. I think that has something to do with it. I think... He he's going to come out with some kind of different formation, I think, and and just overthink the way that he's been playing for the last month. We're getting to near the top of the table, right? Um, but I I also think that that City is getting healthier at this point in time, even though again with this stupid international break, we had another injury, but. I'm going to let that go. Uh, but yeah, Elias, I, I think City needs to press. I do think we'll, we'll see them press more in this in this match um, and hold it for a little longer. Yeah, I think that's going to be the key to them winning. Yeah, I, I'm really I'm really um, interested interested to see a Tottenham team get pressed high because I I feel like they haven't really gotten that at least in the last month. Like maybe Everton did a little bit um, in the first day of the season, but I don't think that was the reason why Everton won, but we haven't seen the city or sorry, the uh, Tottenham team get pressed high really. And um, by a team since I guess Southampton would be the one, but a, a coordinated high press. We haven't seen them have to deal with that, but that you made a good point on the, on the Pep and Mourinho kind of dynamic there. So they've had 23 games against each other. And as you might expect, Pep Guardiola leads that series, 11 wins, six draws and six losses. Now he's lost two of the last three meetings, including that two nil loss to Spurs last season, where uh, I think Zinchenko ended up getting sent off. And then that's when Spurs scored their their two goals in that game. Right after that, uh, I think it was Bergvines 
um, debut goal actually in that game. So yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> that guy who I don't think will be playing this weekend for for Spurs, but. This is where I think my overarching question comes in this for this is you know I want to I want to learn how the Spurs actually deal with a coordinated high press with the players that they have and I have my own ideas of how it will go but I I don't want to I don't want to throw it out and and um sully this conversation into just a big um kind of shitting on Spurs discussion but to you guys, who do you want to learn more about from this weekend? Who do you think that which team do you think we will learn more about after this game? You want me to go first, or uh, yeah. uh, please? As you're, no, you're the, yeah, guest. the guest, the guest, the guest, <laughs> the guest. Okay, I, I, I think I want. I think I, I'll probably learn more about City from this game because I I do feel, I, I, again, as I said, over the last couple of matches, they've been playing better. And, and, and I expect them to put a better, better match together on Saturday. I also think that there's something to be said for Pep signing a new contract this week because it means that the players can't look at him as I don't know if they if you if they use that term in, in um the Premier League but as a lame duck manager they can't look at him as like as that like that. I don't know if that was a factor in some of the things that happened in two thousand nineteen in the summer and you know um maybe some of the playing that they did earlier in the season. But I, I expect to learn a lot more about City coming out of this match. I think coming out of this match is going to tell me if if they are going to make a genuine push to contend for the title. And you and I talked about this, Rian, um, earlier in the season when I told you that um, I don't, I realistically, I I could see city finishing third in the league. Um, So coming out of this match, it, I want to see if they have the mental fortitude to actually push on and contend for the title. Now, whether they, they they win it or not, that's a different thing. But I, I think coming out of this match should tell us whether or not City is going to make a push for the title, even though it's early in the season. But this match, I think, would tell us a lot about that. Yeah, and, and to your point, Mr. Trim, I think I, I want to learn a little bit more about City this weekend. I think the combination of Pep signing his contract renewal at this exact time, plus the idea that this team really needs to step up and make a mark on the Premier League when they have they they started to do well, like you said in the last few games, but they have not 
made a statement and said, we can go out and be a team that's above us, right? We, we are back in the running for a top three spot. I think this is their chance to do it. So I'm looking for Manchester City more so to step into the mold versus seeing whether Spurs can continue their run of form because it's clear that they can kind of do that. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly looking more so at City as well. So I, I agree with you 100%. I do think I should say that City win this game. I think they win it 3-1. But a- again, for for the same reasons that Mourinho could overthink this lineup and put out a team that you know, Pep might not be expecting. We could say the same exact thing about Pep doing the the same to, to Guardiola as we saw against Leon <laughs> in the Champions League. So, so I would only say that with that caveat. Uh, but other than that, I agree. But, but to, to that point, right? I, and I agree with you there, but I think I'm going to take some solace in the fact that he didn't overthink the Liverpool match and he put out a side that you know, play it to, to our strengths as opposed to trying to, to um, counter Liverpool's strengths and, and not put out a side that, that had a realistic chance of winning. So hopefully uh, he is, um, he's not going to go that way because, yeah, that, that's a fear as well that Pep would, would overthink it. But, but, but hopefully coming out of the Liverpool match, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that I think that was a good point on the Liverpool on the Liverpool game. And a dad we talked about before that was kind of your biggest fear going into it was him possibly yeah. overthinking it. So I, I I think he's comfortable enough with Jose Mourinho to know that to know the type of team that he should play um, to combat the the uh, tactics that Mourinho will usually implement in games against Pep Guardiola, but. You know, before I give my prediction, just some notable, I think, misses from the game. The Spurs will miss Matt Doherty, their, their, their starting right back, because he tested positive for COVID during the international break. I think they'll be missing Eric Lamella as well. And I, and I already said earlier, Stefan Berg, Bergvine will be missing. Aguero and Sterling, I think, are looking like 50-50s as to whether they'll be able to play on Saturday. And then the player my dad was talking about that, is going to miss this game because of a muscle injury. It was Nathan Ake who pulled up very early in Holland's game, first uh, Nations League game from this international break. So I, I think for me, I, I'm also feeling a, I'm, I'm going to say a one nil city win actually, because I think that city have actually been better defensively take away the Leicester city game and, and whatever. That's like basically like saying uh, people saying, take away California and, and um, <laughs> 45 basically won the, the popular vote, but uh, take away the Leicester game and take away the individual mistakes that were made in that game that led to the penalties. If city are able to defend those, wide areas that Elias talked about, the channels especially, which was the biggest problem for City against Leicester. Um, and you, you can look, you can see that uh, I, I think Spurs will try to exploit that. But if they're able to defend those areas, otherwise City's defending has been overall good this season. The underlying numbers are, are very favorable for them. So I'm going to say 1-0 City win. 
Yeah, and and I guess the only way to uh, to see what happens is, of course, watch on Saturday and uh, and watch the game. Of course, Rian and I will be watching the game as will Mr. Trim. So, Mr. Trim, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us a little bit about Manchester City. I didn't give you too much flack for uh, for being a fan or for Pep's performance over the last six months, but that'll be for another time. Well, you know, thank you for having me, and and if you. If you talk to Rian, he'll tell you that I've been I've been um, critical of Pep's performance, especially the one of them uh, was it the, I think it might have been the um, the Leicester match. Rian was that it when I said that that was the first time I think I yeah. absolutely questioned his. Um, it's Man, like that in the Leon and the Leon game. I think the Leon game was the Leon first, game. the first little, the first little inklings of of disappointment that my dad has actually had with Pep, and then and then the Leicester yeah. was just kind of the icing, and then the Leicester was was like the icing on the cake. But um, yeah, and to my fan, I mean, I'm a City fan. What can I say? You know. I'm gonna Fair enough. I, I I can't as as a Barcelona fan, I can't that. disagree. He said, "I'm gonna move to Manchester." <laughs> well, don't don't do that. That that That's, would be that would be a, a bad, bad lifestyle choice. I can confidently say. <laughs> don't know if you yeah, want that. that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, thank you for having me on, guys. And yes, yeah, so we'll see on Saturday, right? I mean, I, I as I said, I'm confident. I think it's a two-one win. Um. But we'll see, and and because City hasn't been to, to Rian's point as well, ruthless enough as they usually as they were last season and and in the seasons prior. But I, I do think they can they can get a two one win. Agreed, agreed. Well, so once again, Shrimp, well thank, thank you. you for having me on. We're happy to have you on and take a break and come back to talk about the Spain-Germany game as well as the U.S. men's national team. Thanks, Dad. All right. Take care, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up the podcast talking about the incredible job that Luis Enrique has done with this Spain squad over the last several months uh, especially after personal tragedy. So let, let's start off, Rian, with a 6-0, 6-0 Spain win over Germany. Germany wasn't, it, this wasn't like two B teams or something. Like it's not, like this was a, okay, Nations League. Uh, I can't even, but it was a Nations League match that, honestly, I was impressed with Spain. Like this is the first time I've, seriously been impressed with Spain in a couple of years. And I've got to hand it to Luis Enrique. He got everything right in this game. And yeah, so Spain are winning the Euros. That's that's what I've deducted. But anyway, now, Rian, <laughs> thoughts, thoughts on this game? What stood out to you real quick? Yeah, no, Elias, Elias, is, Elias is not wrong. He's not wrong. Um, the illustrious Nations League that established in 2018 and it's got such a long history to it already. Cristiano Ronaldo has lifted the trophy. Um, yeah, great players like him. No, uh, this game was <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing 
game that Spain, I learned a lot about Spain, that's for sure. I, Germany, there's so much, so much with Germany right now. Thomas Mueller, Matt Hummels, and Mesut Ozil have all been iced out by Yogi Love. Um, all three players, very important to the 2014 World Cup <laughs> champion team. And, I mean, Germany looked toothless, completely toothless. They played Gnabry, Sané, and uh, Timo Werner all up top. And uh, there was really no link between their midfield of uh, Cruz, Gundogan, and Leon Goretzka. Um, they, it, it was more about Spain for me than Germany. Um I mean, Germany just looked like they couldn't put attacks together and just looked like there was almost three different teams on the field and their def- their defending was horrible. I mean, you think about Jerome Boateng is also not getting into this team for, I guess, reasons, but who knows what they are. <laughs> who knows? But, but honestly, Spain showed me something that I don't think I can remember a Spain team showing which is the counterattacking ability not just the fact that they passed through germany really easily um coke was fantastic fabian ruiz uh came on for sergio canales who got injured early in the game and fabian ruiz was one of the best players on the field alvaro morata looked amazing like i like his i have to say the last i've watched a couple juventus games um, right before the international break and his hold up play and link up play add that in with the speed that he has and, and his general, a good dribbler. Like it's, it's a different level that Spain can go to. And I didn't think they had this in them. When you, when you throw in the Ferran Torres, their ability to counter is not something you'd expect from a Spanish national side. And, to have that card to play in a potential game in the Euros next summer, in a game where maybe they won't see as much of the ball as they did against this really unathletic Germany midfield that we saw, they can have another card to play in terms of a counterattack and legit counterattack. And, and we're hoping that Ansu Fati is going to be healthy by next summer because him and Ferran Torres and Avar Morata as just like, just purely counterattacking the speed and athleticism that we really haven't seen from Spain since probably 2010, uh, 2012, really. This team can possibly beat you in, in multiple ways, and that's really, really important to have for a national side because it's very hard for national teams to look that cohesive, but to have just different ways to play is... That's that's big. Yeah, you. I just want to touch on the last point because I could talk about how well Spain played and how poorly Germany looked. But I just want to talk about the different ways that Spain can play. I think that's crucial, like you said. I think you saw in this game, first off, Spain dominated position. So it wasn't just like they were playing counterattacking football and somehow managed to score six goals. No, they they dominated this game in every phase of the pitch. There was no point at which Germany looked like they had um, 
basically any sort of foothold on this game. It just wasn't there. And Spain easily could have scored more than six goals. It, it very much could have been seven, eight. It was um, generous, a generous six nil, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very generous six nil. And it, it felt reminiscent of a side that just didn't let up. And, and I think you saw that in the, just the way that Spain pressed. It was so cohesive and so rapid because of the youth that they have up front, right? Like they, Spain, Spain was starting, uh, basically a youth forward, uh, kind of grouping. I don't want to, it was kind of a four, one, four, one formation, but they started Alvaro Morata on top. And then you had behind them and on the wings, Ferran Torres and Danny Olmo. So two players that again are very young and youthful, but press the heck out of people. It's like the legs in, all of these players was amazing. And Rian talked about it earlier in the pod, but Koke making runs forward in the attacking phase of the play only added to their, their presence up front and Germany were just frankly outclassed. I should also point out that my favorite player during that game was none of the attacking players, but it was Rodri, a player that for Manchester city that, I would say has had a decent season, but hasn't really stepped up into star studded fashion. It's the best Roger, I've seen him play. I yep. think since, yep. since moving to Manchester city, honestly, a hundred percent agree. It's the best I've seen him play since his, his athletic days. He bossed that midfield. He was everywhere intercepting, making, you know, forward passes that were in between the lines. That was quintessential central defensive midfield play at its finest. Um, and that was, I think, a major reason why Spain did so well. So, yeah, uh, just the the fact that this is a team that's that doesn't have Ansu Fati in it too is is tasty for the Euros. It's just tasty. So we'll have to see what Spain do in March because if they can continue this run of form going into the Euros next summer, I mean, they really could be a side to contend with. So Germany shit out of luck and I'm not sorry about it, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, we'll see how they also do at the Euros. That's a whole other thing, but and just, just yeah. before we move on to the U S thinking about the Morata part of this, Spain has Gerard, Gerard Moreno to bring on to, who's a very similar <laughs> right, type of right. player, very similar type of player. And his link of plays unbelievable too. So it's, I am hesitant to, Fully say that the Spain are a favorite for next summer, but th- that's this team has gears to it, and and that's something that we haven't seen in probably six years for Spain's at least six years, really. Um, yeah, oh, so, yeah, I agree. And and also, they brought on Oyathabal, and he also yeah. scored a goal <laughs> right off the bench. So, yeah, like there, there are options there. I agree with you. Um, but yes, Rian, let's, let's also talk about the U.S. men's national team. Of course, uh, a pillar of our continued mental health strains uh, at times and, and also boosts in others. But Rian, we saw a really, really strong performance, not out of the gate, but overall a strong performance from the U.S. against Panama. Talk to me about how you're feeling after that win. Uh, I mean, the, the win was great. Um, but like the performances, you know, as a team, nothing was cohesive. Even the Wales, the Wales game, they actually, you could argue that they look better against Wales, but in a game that finished nil, nil, but look, this whole international break was just 
get these guys in and playing together, get these, it was a Eurocentric, um, squad that was called in other than Sebastian Legit, who plays for LA Galaxy. He was the only non, uh, Euro player that was in camp. And, uh, we've already seen that. I think in January, they're going to have the ML, they're going to have a camp in the U.S. for the MLS players. But look, it was just really fun to watch all of these guys who have so much quality and potential, but quality is there. And um, I texted Elias about this. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a U.S. team as arrogant as these guys are. And arrogant in a good way. And some it'll definitely come back to bite us in a World Cup qualifier because you look at you look at some of the play that like Claudio Reyna, or sorry, I keep saying his dad's name, Gio Reyna, and um, and like Weston McKenney uh, and Serginio Des, the the amount of flicks and just little body shakes and and pointless roulettes that Weston McKenney was doing, like they're all super confident because of the leagues and teams that they play for, and I'm sure that will come back to bite us in a World Cup qualifier where they just kind of feel like this is they think it's going to be super easy and and whatever, but that 6-2, that should be the standard. That should be the standard. Granted, it was Panama who are not good at all. At all. That team is... That team, I don't even think is going to be in, like, the final round of World <laughs> Cup qualifiers. But that's what should happen against basically every team other than Mexico and maybe, like, Costa Rica, right? It's We it should be just overwhelming teams with quality now. Like, maybe in the past, it was harder, but the quality is there. It should be overwhelming these teams because these guys are not going to be remotely afraid to go and play El Salvador. Right. That's, that's the biggest thing for me is like the confidence and quality, the confidence that comes from the quality really, but these guys are not going to be afraid to play Mexico either. Hey, you, you think Weston McKinney who will end up play, who will have played probably like three, Dar three Milan or uh, three derbies and end up playing like against AC Milan and, and play against Lazio. Gio Reyna, who plays against Bayern two times a year. Same with Tyler Adams. Kristen Pulisic is playing Manchester United and Manchester City. All these teams they're playing they're playing teams that would make Ellis and I shit our pants to play against. They're not going to be afraid to play against. Mexico, and that I think that's going to be the biggest sign of development that I want to see is that the players are just not afraid and not and have that confidence and arrogance, and uh, and I that's what I want to see more of. And look, I, Egg is there, so you know I'm not going to worry about him until we get to like an actual tournament, but. The coach will have almost no bearings over the World Cup qualifying because there's too much talent in the side for us not to dominate those games. Yeah, that's the thing, right? We're starting to see a U.S. men's national team that is coming into the fold, and confidence is exactly the word I think I would use to describe what they need to feel against teams that clearly don't have the quality, right? It's not good enough at this point with the quality that this team has to win 1-0, to win 2-1 against really, really, really poor sides in comparison to the talent that the U.S. men's national team has. It it has to be confident, stated wins now. It can't just be 
you know, oh, we we barely scraped by. It, it has to be more than that. If you're if you want to go up against the likes of France, of any South American team, of Belgium, for example, right? Teams that the U.S. wants to be in competition with. So it was the first step in that direction. I think 2022 is going to tell us a lot about the team, but I, I still think we're a ways off from from saying, oh, they could be in a contention for, you know, a, a real serious spot at the World Cup. Yeah, we're... I'm not going into a goddamn game against Trinidad and Tobago and being nervous about us being able to eke out a fucking one nil and biting my nails because I'm like trying to see, Oh God, I hope Honduras doesn't win their game and knock us out of the world cup. It's like, that's we're fine. We don't have to worry about that. Mexico is still going to be a really hard game because Mexico have a very good coach in, in Tata Martino, but that's those are the games that we're looking forward to, and those are the games that we'll learn more about this team. But outside of that, we just gotta just enjoy the ride, everyone. Enjoy the ride. We'll be we're not gonna miss the World Cup. There's there's literally a negative chance of it because it's actually just stacked in the favor of U.S. and Mexico. I don't think Concacaf will ever allow this to have that to happen again on a, on a different imagine? level. I don't Can think Concacaf will ever allow Mexico or the U.S. not to make the World <laughs> Cup again because the money is too good. But um, yeah, the, I mean the money's too green. It's too green, uh, honestly. So, it, um, but all 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 jokes aside, it's it was really a fun international break and. Looking forward to the December camp, but March, hopefully, they'll be able to to mesh both the uh, MLS guys and the and the guys in Europe, and we'll learn a lot about um, what the starting lineup and rosters will look like going forward. That we will. That we will for sure, Riyadh. So I think that wraps up the pod for us. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you so much for listening we will be back next week, probably a little bit before Thanksgiving, talking about this weekend's games and the games that we just previewed. And then uh, Rian and I are going to go enjoy a nice holiday with our families. So with that, thank you all for listening, and we will see you soon. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.